Do you know what's absolute pants? Do tell. I, I've been training for the marathon for the past four months. And the thing's on okay. Sunday. And now my body decides to get sick. Like, it's just, it's so demoralizing. You put in all this work and it's like, well, looks like it's all for naught. It's like, oh. You know, you know what that is, man? What is that? That's Elliot Kipchoge. He knows you're coming for him. He knows you're coming <laughs> for his crown. And he's like, this, this, is, this is too much. This is too much of a risk. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I honestly didn't think you'd know about uh, Kipchoge. Well, he broke the two-hour marathon limit. It's, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, but like... So that's, a, that's a huge deal, like... Oh, you know, for sure. But like, I always uh, underestimate how much that gets out of running circles. Like, I always assume mm. that um, only people who are into running know about this and everyone else is like... I don't love a clue what's going on. Like if some, mm-hmm. like, I don't know, Olympic ski shooter or whatever did something amazing. No one but ski shooters are going to know what's going on. I assume it's the same with running. But evidently uh, not. I don't know. I mean, I think marathon in general has a bigger outreach than biathlon in general. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that's fair. That's fair. Do you know Do you know what I really dislike? Biathlons. Not, well, I don't know. I've never done a biathlon. But you have a marathon, right? Uh, yeah. You have a half marathon, right? Mm-hmm. I dislike the terminology of a mini marathon, which is a 10K. <laughs> and it's kind of like, there comes a point where the word marathon is the wrong branding on a race. Because like you could call a 5K like an eighth marathon or whatever. But marathon implies like grueling distance. And I don't think that should be applied to 5 and 10Ks. It always annoys me. And people are like, oh, I did a mini marathon. It's like, no, he did a 10K. And that's great. But don't call it a marathon. This is silly. Take it up with the with the people who, who call it that. Take it up with the, with, the, with the organizers, not with the racers. Oh, yeah. No, for, oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. I mean that as in, like, it annoys me when companies brand their things as mini marathons. Hmm. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, anyhow. anyhow is we, a sprint we, a nano marathon? Uh, could be. You see, see, see how silly that is. Like, I know it's obviously a joke, but the the notion of like the word marathon, like it, it should only be for the really long distance races. I, I okay, like. So, so uh, how long? How long is a marathon in in metric? It's uh, forty two point something kilometers. Forty two kilometers, let's say. So forty two divided. <laughs> so forty two thousand divided by one thousand million. Billion. Hold on. Hold on. Meters. Comp- computing. So four point two by ten to the minus five. So a nanomarathon is like four. No, hold on. Forty-two micrometers. <laughs> micrometers. Forty-two micrometers is a nanomarathon. <laughs> Uh, I've never run a marathon, but I have run literally millions of nanomarathons. You you, you eat those nanomarathons for breakfast, man. They're nothing to you. Um, You know what I really like? I really like when it goes the opposite way. When people label extremely grueling long races as really short things. Like, you get, (laughs) like, sometimes um, some, like, like mad hipster races will have, like, uh, it branded as a fun run. But like it's an ultra marathon, like that's. A, <laughs> I'm, 
I love that so much. Like that I'm all for, but I'm not for it the other way, you know? Do a fun run across the Ross Ice Shelf. Um, what's the Ross Ice Shelf? It's a big... Well, it probably doesn't exist anymore. It's in, a, it's in Antarctica. <laughs> it probably doesn't exist anymore. God, that's... You've just made Greta so sad. Well, I haven't made Greta sad. Global global late-stage capitalism has made Greta sad. That, that is fair. That is fair. Um, do you know what? I, 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 I am reticent to talk about this on air. I might cut this. Uh, because if I say it on air, it must happen. Um, but part of me, part of me is seriously, seriously considering, Bill, running from coast to coast in Ireland. That'd be cool. Yeah, I, I, I did the maths and like, it's, it's like really hard. It's really tough, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility for an amateur runner to run from the likes of Dublin to Galway, uh, which for people yeah. listening, if this stays in, it's like, I think it's like 160-ish kilometers. Oh, no, it's 200 kilometers. So, like, that's maybe 120, 30 miles, maybe, something like that for Americans. You'd have to do the exact conversion. Um, but it's doable in a day. Um, at, like, slow running for, for 24 hours straight. And part of me is kind of like, that's a really interesting thing. That, um, like, yeah, that's, like, quite... Not everyone attempts such a thing. I'm like, oh... I could do that. Um, we'll see. First, I need to do a, a marathon, though. <laughs> yeah, get the, get that done first. <laughs> we'll do that, and then we'll do an ultra, and then we'll run across the country. It'll be a great crack. Anywho, yeah. anywho. And no, then, no. then run across a larger country. Run across England, then, afterwards. Run from, like, Liverpool to Scarborough. Yeah, and then end up with, like, Russia. Um, yeah. That would be... That would be so terrible. <laughs> P- Petersburg to Vladivostok. That would be the worst. Like, even if you gave yourself, like, I don't know, a year to do it or whatever. Can you imagine just, like, having to put in the days in Siberia? Like, oh. Also bears. Alright, so, uh, first of all, I need to, we need to apologize to everyone for being so horrifically late with this podcast. There was no podcast in September, and there will just about be a podcast in October. Um, the mm-hmm. reasons for this... Uh, we're not going to go into too much details, or at least I'll talk only from my end. Um, Kazakhstan uh, derailed things slightly, and then I just had a torrid time with the video, and it didn't get out on time, and that delayed things. Uh, and so it was just just lots of stuff didn't work smoothly for the past like month and a half, and this is why uh, it is late. Now, to compensate mm-hmm. for this, myself and Bill were going to record today, and then hopefully if we can work out logistics, we'll record next week and do another um podcast and then also do the standard november podcast so hopefully there'll be three podcasts relatively soon uh to make up Mm -hmm. so you still get the the same amount of podcasts as promised per year it's just that they've been uh time has been made elastic on these things so apologies uh for for being late Mm -hmm. sorry about that guys um stuff happens you know uh, and the other thing uh, uh, of, of pre-show fodder uh, is I have we have new merch. There is new merch. Oh, new merchandise! And this month we are gone is the licorice. Um, this month we are celebrating Bill Polian uh, with oh, a line of Bill Polian inspired merch. Uh, <sighs> basically, a hoodie and and two t-shirts. One one for men and one for women. Uh, they are white because obviously they are white. And there's a picture of Bill Polian on the front 
uh, I can't remember whether or not it has the words Bill Poli on the back. I was toying with different designs, so you can go check that mm. out. Links in the show notes to merch. Go pick up the merch. Represent Bill Poli and Love of Ages. All that sort of jazz. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Please let me know if anyone actually buys this. This is just hilarious. Oh, Bill, man, um, I, I totally will. 100%. I'm going to be monitoring it. And if anyone picks up anything, I'm going to be... There will be tweets. It'd be great. Well, I'm I'm definitely going to buy one. Are you going to buy Personally. one? <laughs> course <laughs> oh that's class that's brilliant you're gonna you're gonna i suppose you get like you get 50 percent off because like you're gonna get the revenue from you're gonna get, make some money back on that that's actually works out quite well you get a discount apparently it does say bill polian on the back according to the website here there you go so i've left the, the words bill polian on the back again i couldn't remember i was doing some uh, uh i was doing various different designs so white white garment uh, big, big Bill Polian, uh, as in the character on the front, and then the the letters Bill Polian, the word Bill Polian on the back. Jesus Christ. In white, which is the customary colour when discussing these things. Uh, so yeah, links in the show notes, go, go check it out. I worry for next month, man, because I'm running out of, like, memes to put in merch for. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll crank I, some out today. We'll crank out some new ones today. We will. We'll bust out some new memes. Uh, it might be a case of I might need to reincarnate some of the older memes, but like, I don't know, make like beta mash, crinkle dash, um, fridge magnets or something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I love this merch stuff. Anyhow, um, so that is pre-show. Shall we do some follow-up? So first thing we got here is an email from long-time listener, and frequent contributor. Hold on, I'm waiting for this to load. And I ran out of things to say while I was waiting for this very slow internet to load. Here we go. From longtime listener <laughs> and frequent <laughs> contributor and large fan uh, Asmodian underscore. And Asmodian has sent in the flag of the Joseon dynasty. Now, I don't know if I've pronounced that correctly. Hold on, let me check. Probably not. Joseon. Oh, thank you for your... Uh, Support <laughs> your faith in me, uh, Josian. Does it say anything here in, Wikine- in Wikipedia? It doesn't. But you know what? That's like a it, like romanization of a, of a Korean word, so it's probably completely wrong anyway. So I'm not mm. to blame. Um, mm-hmm. Josian Dynasty flag, Edgar. I'm gonna guess that these are submissions for flag corner. I would imagine these are shit, uh, submissions for flag corner. Uh, are you now? Are you looking at because he uh, Asmodian has sent us um, two links? Which link link are you looking at here? Um, I'm looking at the first one, uh, crwflags.com. Yes. Okay. Uh, do you want to describe that one? Um, it's a not. It's a, a, I don't know. An off square. I guess is is the, the way I describe this. It's like slightly th- uh, thinner than it is tall. Mm-hmm. Uh, of yellow fringed in sort of red flames mm-hmm. um and on it there is uh so against the yellow background there's a black and red dragon partially obscured by gray clouds blue um blue clouds man blue gray clouds <laughs> um and the dragon has two green horns this this is busy and he, this he, is, he, he's, uh, the dragon is also holding some sort of thing in his arm it's like a it's a red circle with like little white parts yeah attempting to oh yeah 
Maybe he's got like an apple or something. Is he eating an apple? Maybe the dragon's eating an apple. Yeah. Could be. Yeah, like a like a I don't know a pink lady maybe. <laughs> pink um, lady. Did you hear that they invented a new apple? No. Um. Oh sh. I'm sorry. I shouldn't swear. Actually, it's bad corner. Of course, I can swear. Um. The uh. What was it called? Damn it. Okay, but they invented a new apple. Um. New apple. Breed. Honeycrisp. Or is it co- no Cosmic Crisp? Yeah, the Cosmic Crisp apple. I remember it because that the name is crazy. Um, like it's very kind of like uh, quark and gluon and things like that. Um, yeah. But I remember so I was reading about this new apple and people talk about like oh how hard it was to breed and all this sort of jazz. And I was like, wow, this thing must look seriously impressive. And then you go Google it, and it looks like any old apple. Like there is no difference between this and any apple I've seen before. Um, well, it's it's very different to like a Granny Smith because it's it's red, <laughs> yeah, but not green. Yeah, but like relative to other red <laughs> apples, Bill. Uh, so I remember being all like, "Wow, that's 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 a weird existence for apple breeders who like spend like literal decades um, breeding these things, and then they're yeah, all like twenty yes. years of development." Yeah. It's just, it's crazy. Uh, links in the show notes for anyone who's interested. It's it's massively, massively underwhelming. Um, anyhow, so Dragon here might be uh, might be chowing down on uh, an apple. On a cosmic crisp. It's very yeah. busy. Now, I'm assuming that this is actually not what the flag looked like. I'm beginning to realize more and more that um, uh, many representations of flags on the internet are actually people's drawing of said flag. Um, and yeah. I, this is probably someone's uh, rendering of that flag. But even if the flag is like stylistically looks a little bit better, it's still super, 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 super busy. Way too busy. It's like a painting. It's like it's not mm-hmm. a flag. And even the one below it is is similar. It's all just super busy. When we get to Korea, nineteen uh, eighteen eighty two, links in the show notes. All this, folks. Then it starts to like look like the modern Korean flag. I really yeah. like the swirl, Bill. I think th- I think they yeah. should they should have kept the swirl. Like, kept it swirlier rather than just an S dividing the, the two halves. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it looks, with with the swirl, again, links and show notes, with the old school swirl, uh, it looks a little bit less like the Pepsi logo. Yeah. Uh, and I, I really like that swirl. I think it looks really good. Um But yeah, anyway, links and show notes. The other flag uh, that uh, Asmo sent in was the... It's the Joe Joe song, uh, same same crowd as before, except it's a navy flag. What do you think of this flag, Bill? Links in the show notes. Um, it's a lot. It's it's busy for sure. So I'm I'm gonna have a quick go at describing it. Sure, go for it. Um, it's a black flag, not quite square. Um, in the center there's a number of concentric circles. The very center one is black with a, a yellow ring around it. Mm-hmm. Then surrounding that is a ring that's sort of dark red on the left side and navy on the right side. Mm-hmm. And surrounding that, there's a ring that's navy on the left side and dark red on the right side. Then surrounding that, there are eight squares or eight uh, tetragrams, trigrams, trigrams from the I Ching, which I think is, is on the current Korean flag. Well, there's four of them on the current Korean flag. Yeah. Um, so there's four of the I Ching trigrams here, there's eight. And then surrounding that, also arranged in a circle, are eight um, symbols that are composed of 
a number of white circles connected by lines in various ways, according to no explicit pattern that I can see. It's it's mad. This one, like, it looks like it could be straight out of, like, a sci-fi movie. Um, mm. It's got a really weird, like, uh, futuristic alien sort of aesthetic to it. Like it's, it, it looks like the interface from an, an alien computer system. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and and sure. When was this? When was this Navy about the Johnson Navy? Like the eighteen hundreds, the like late yeah. mid to late eighteen hundreds. Like it's it's crazy how modern that looks like. Um, mm. It's it's mental. It looks like it, I I honestly think it looks like a work of uh, like modern art. Mm. Um, it doesn't again doesn't work as a flag. Uh, it's way, way too busy, but it's it, there's something about it where I'm like, I don't, this isn't really shit. This is just maybe not optimal. <laughs> it's it's very striking and it's kind of weird and I sort of dig it for that reason. Yeah, and, and the, the eye in the middle is really kind of, it looks at you like, it's very... Oh yeah, it's, it's very, oh, it is looking at me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this tab like that. <laughs> don't, don't look at the eye. Uh, so yeah, go go check that one out, listeners. It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting flag. Very interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. Next, next topic. Um, oh well, I, I just want to point out that the, the the symbols around the outside are a magic square. What what symbols? The white circles connected by the white lines. Yeah, they form a magic square. How do they form a magic Wh- square? So, if you look at it, where are we now? So, if we look, say, down the the left side, there's two at the top, right? Yeah. In like the top left corner, then sure. along the left side, there's nine, and then there's four at the bottom. And that adds up to, uh, what's that, 15? Yeah. Is that right? Um, and if you look uh, across the the bottom, you've got 4, 3, and 8. That adds up to 13. They, like, I, it says this in Wikipedia. This is a, oh. a, a magic square that is, is present in... Um, it says it's from, from Chinese. Uh, some Chinese, like, divination and, and mathematical or numerological system or something. Um, so huh. there, there is a symbolism and a meaning behind it. It isn't totally random. Uh, it's just it's it's not clear if you don't have that cultural context. I guess what it is. That's crazy. Like obviously, I would never yeah. expect it to be random. Uh, like there's there's always a reason why people put stuff in their flags. Um, yeah, but that's that's really that appeals to the ma- the maths nerd in me. I like that. Hmm. Yeah. M- moving on. Uh, moving on. Moving on. Moving on. Uh, oh, the next, the next two points. I'll take the next two points actually because they're uh, directed at me. Uh, Adam Vargas uh, sent us an email uh, uh, with like two-ish questions. I'm summarizing here, Adam. So just, just uh, bear with me. Um, nuts and bolts of it. Question number one is: Can you cover ocean upwelling in a future video? The answer to that is a really quick no, uh, because it's it's so niche that most people won't have any interest, um, and it doesn't really have much. Uh, a massive effect on like storytelling uh, if you're setting a story in a world or needing to build a world for a story um it's yeah that's not another thing that I, I'm, I'm looking at covering uh the other question that adam uh writes is uh do you remember ages ago bill i did a, a episode on circulation cells um in the atmosphere yes. of planets yes um, they want to know basically, so I presented, uh, you know, here's what the circulation cells would look like if a planet spins half as fast as Earth. And here's what it looks like if it spins twice as fast, etc. Uh, and uh, Adam was looking for cutoff points between the various different models. Um, those, 
uh, don't exist. I don't think anyone knows, uh, or at least I've never read any sort of paper that discusses what happens uh, in the transition points between them and where those transition points are. Uh, so mm-hmm. like I said in said video, the best your best option is uh, choose a circulation regime that is closest um, to your planet and just go with that and don't worry too much. Fudge the rest of the details. Um, so yeah, there we go. Some questions for, for Adam asked and answered. Excellent. <laughs> um, the other one, oh, sorry, there's one more from Jack Green that I'll take as well, actually, because I think this is directed at me as well. Uh, Jack Green writes in, uh, sent us in an email and um, was asking about the plausibility of non-locked double planets. So if I recall the email correctly, uh, J- uh, Jack was proposing, uh, would it be, could you have uh, two planets, like double planet system, uh, orbiting uh, close into a low mass star uh, in a location where, where the planets would usually be locked, but because of the nature of their being double planets, they wouldn't be locked. They'd be still rotating around each other. Um, that strike, I don't know, uh, because I am not an astronomer, uh, that strikes me as it would work in fiction. I think in practice, um, because of how strong the the gravitational uh, pull from the star is, I think in practice it would disrupt that system and would kick one of the double planets away and you'd be left with a single planet that would slowly slow down and lock itself to the star in practice. But right. I think I think you could easily hand with that. I think people would totally buy double planet system closing to star. I don't think that's, that's a hard sell. Yeah. Yeah? That seems plausible. And, I mean, I'm sure there would be... A- at some point in the history of that system where they would be locked for a while, which would be long enough to tell a story in. Or where they sure. would be un- unlocked for a while which and, and would face each other, which would be long enough to tell a story in. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, do you want to take the last one? Sure. Um, so this is, it's another email uh, from Zen10, uh, another frequent uh, writer. Um, who is asking about radio synthesis as a source of, as the primary source for uh, a, a chain of life. Um, so I had a vague glimmer of an idea for something for world building, they write. What about a planet where the dominant form of energy at the bottom of the food chain isn't solar or chemical energy, but radioactive particle decay? Maybe there are grazers that are the primary energy gatherers who go around finding radioactive material to eat, and then other creatures eat them and whatnot. Um, there is one example in real life, although it's not very well understood. So they, they sent us a link to radiotrophic fungus, um, which is a thing that has been found on Earth, which are fungi that appear to uh, use radiation, like gamma radiation, to uh, get, get energy, which is cool as heck and that's like i saw i read this email and uh you know reading it in chronological order it, you know zen 10 asked this question like that there's no way that's plausible any biological life form like their their dna would be ripped apart by radiation would never occur in real life and then at the end of the event it's like oh yeah here's a fungus that does it i'm like <laughs> how how is it doing like how is it not dying or maybe is there is is gamma radiation not like the the same radiation that rips apart DNA. Like, how is a biological organism not being destroyed by this? Like, it's crazy. I'm I'm pretty sure it it does um do that. 
damage then, DNA and stuff. And then, so like, is there D- is is this the DNA of this uh, fungus? Is it just more resilient? Like what? I realize, Bill, this is rhetorical. Could be. You don't study fungi, but like, you know, it just it strikes me as so weird that this could even be a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. I know. I I think I think it's very cool. Uh, and I've toyed around with this as a potential thing in one of my settings um, a couple of years ago because uh, I, I heard about this and I, I they're saying here in this this article that that Zen Ten linked that it was found in in and around Chernobyl. I'm fairly sure I I read something before about uh, so this is a fungus that did this. I'm fairly sure I read something about uh, a bacterium that does this that lives like really really deep in the earth's crust hmm i thought i thought and that that's where i think i got the idea for for my world building thing so i'm not sure i'm gonna have to try and find that but yeah i mean it's 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 a form of it's a form of energy um so yeah why not and not everything not everything alive has to have dna there are other potential uh, systems of of ordering life yeah but is 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 um but isn't uh radioactivity just detrimental to like organic compounds as a whole like even if you replace the dna with s- some other thing rna is that another thing like, i don't, i'm very bad at biology um well they, they'd be the basically like the the same components there rna is a single strand as opposed to two strands ah uh, okay okay um oh i guess maybe you could have just a different maybe you've had like silicone based life or something i'm completely talking about yeah things, so. things like that okay or cool. i mean if 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 something if something happened in uh in an environment where that was where that was the norm then it would only happen if it evolved with systems to deal with radiation or it, if it made it a functional, essential functional thing of it, then it wouldn't. It would never be a problem because that would just be the context it existed in. Yeah, uh, that that that's fair. Uh, while we're on the to- topic of uh, biology, um, mm-hmm. I I'm going to link in the show notes uh, Bibliridian's uh, series on uh, speculative uh, like alt biology. Um, cool. He he released part three uh of the series like a couple of days ago and it is it is so good it is like scary good like i'm embarrassed at, like how good it is uh, <laughs> i remember i remember i picked up um my i, I bought storm of swords at uh, the george R. R. martin book yeah. and on the back of it this is related to the story on the back of it uh it said something i think it was an Anne mccaffrey quote or whatever uh where she was like you know when you read a book that's just so like comprehensive and big and awe-inspiring that you put it down and you kind of question your life choices about becoming an author? Yeah, that was this book. And I had the same thing with Bibliorinian's video. It's like, it's so good. Like his series is so good that like it questions. I was there sitting there. I was like, maybe I should quit this and just like hand over <laughs> to Bibliorinian because clearly this guy's amazing. I, I absolutely adore this series. You, people got to go check it out. It's it's truly brilliant. Uh, links in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> um, and it's, 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 I, uh, we, we talked, myself and Bibliorinian talked about this. He was like, and it was really nice of him, uh, that he was, he kind of like asked my permission to do this, which I thought was weird, but he was like, he didn't want to like cause any beef. He was like, I don't know if this is a topic you want to cover, 
but would it be okay if I did? And I was like, yeah, of course, you do whatever you want. Uh, and in the back of my mind, I was like, he'll cover that. And then eventually, I'll also cover it. And there'll be two things said about the topic. It'll be great. And now I feel yeah. no compulsion to cover it because it's just so comprehensive and good. I'm like, I, <laughs> there, I can't add anything. Like, there's nothing I could say that would improve upon this. It's just, it's so good. Anyhow, there we go. Nice. Uh, so that was that was uh, all of the email. Oh, real quick, uh, I, I was talking to um, uh, an Artifacts fan IRL, um, and they were saying you never give out the email address uh, to the show, which is kind of by design, partly. But um, I, I figured I'd I'd uh, capitulate a little bit here and actually give out the email address. So if you want to email us. Uh, there it'll be in the show notes. It'll be like a contact us link, uh, but also the email address is podcast at artifexian Um, so yeah, leave us your emails and we'll get to them in future shows. Super, cool. All right, uh, let's do some Reddit, shall we? Let's do some Reddit. Uh, I I, go, I can go super quick to to some of the stuff we got uh, from shahab x zero nine u slash shahab x zero nine uh, mentioned that. Uh, we talked about the Manchu language and how we were speculating about whether or not it has a gender system. Uh, they confirm that uh, Man- uh, Manchu does not have a gender system. It's sound symbolism. Right. And I believe, I looked into it afterwards, I believe it didn't have a gender system because it didn't demand any sort of agreement uh, with anything right. else around it. And that would be the kind of like one of the defining traits about it. So it wasn't yeah. PIE bias or anything. Oh, uh, sorry, our IE bias. It was literally just, it, it doesn't have a gender system. Um, cool. Uh, Rec Jensen, you slash Rec Jensen, uh, brought up the very interesting point relating to sandwiches, that the number of sandwiches is determined by the number of people eating the sandwiches. And this is now my philosophy in life. I think that's a great point. Um, you take a sandwich and you cut it in two. If you are the sole consumer of that sandwich, it is one sandwich. But if it's being dispensed amongst two people, it's two sandwiches. I think that's a great rule of thumb. Well, I don't agree with that. Uh, not out of any like intellectual objection. It just it doesn't feel right. But I really respect it. Man, there's no place for your feelings in science. I never said I was a scientist. <laughs> this is science, Bill. This is this is we're doing empirical research into uh, the effect of subdivisions on sandwich frequency. <laughs> I, I'm seeing it more as like a, an, an exploration of the, what a, what constitutes the concept of a sandwich. In which case, you know, it's, there's a human element there, so feelings are totally valid. Ah, uh, that that's fair. I'm going to use Rec Jensen's uh, protocol from now on. I I have a question for 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 this for this artifactophone. Oh, is their name Rec Jensen or is it Rec Jensen? Because I read it as Rec Jensen, and then you said Jensen. And oh, I was like, oh, maybe it is. No, no, I think you're right. I think you're right, Bill. Yeah, well, I mean, look, we, we, we don't know. That's, what, that's why I'm asking. Do you reckon that this person is Icelandic? I do not reckon anything. I have no idea. <laughs> Just in general life, I reckon nothing. It's no, I... I turn, turn off. <laughs> off switch there. Leave it off. Um, but yeah, so that was the sandwiches. The um, and the last thing that I can I can quickly go through is uh, posh cushions. I believe they made the show before uh, because I remember remarking that it's a great username. Um, but <laughs> posh cushions uh, mentioned that uh, there is this thing called Denis, um, and it's a mm-hmm. language I believe made for a video game called Riven, 
Um, I don't have the link open in front of me, so I can't remember those exact right details. But they bring it up to say that it's a um, someone made a base 25 numbering systems um, for that. And there is a page uh, going through it. I'll leave links in the show notes. People can go check it out. Um, I bring it up to say I find that they're, the construction of their numerals, like the actual shape of the numbers, the glyphs, to be equal parts brilliant and equal parts awful and I'm, I'm, I'm undecided as to whether or not I'm horrified or um, in awe of this uh, because they're cause okay the, I, I gotta have another look at this <laughs> so, so the way the way it basically works is the thing that I very much advocate for uh, you know you have sub bases in a number system and so like say you have a, a glyph for one and a glyph for five uh, your glyph for six would be a combination of one and five right they, this this permeates this number system, but the way the glyphs and and that, I think that's great. But the way the glyphs are uh, designed, they're so busy and uh, detailed that like I could never see anyone actually writing with these glyphs ever. Um, right, it's weird. It's really strange. Now they look they look fantastic. I think they look really nice. Like I think if you were to make they're basically they're little boxes with markings in them. If you were to like stitch together a couple of these boxes you'd make a really cool bit of like abstract modern art um yeah as a as a writing system i i don't i don't think these are all that great um what do you mm. think um i think it's a very information efficient system and it's really elegant um but i think it is probably not very uh not very practical for writing yeah I, it's there there they'd be hard to write and people would simplify them over time. For sure, for sure. And like, like, why, why the box? Why is the box even there? To get rid of the box, it's already a massive. Oh, right, I get why the box is there, because so you can stitch them together and make the little nice units. But like, you yeah. eliminate the boxes, you've already kind of you're well on the way of to simplifying. And then you turn mm-hmm. the like the internal workings in the boxes, you turn them into basically cursive. And then you, I think, we you get a number system that I think would actually naturally evolve. Um, but it's but it is interesting and base 25 is not a normal number system like it's not one that comes up an awful lot um so uh people should go should go check it out for sure all right and then so the last thing bill i think is you uh yeah so got a a reddit comment from oh i've closed it hold on from aster the dragon great username as well very good username Asking me, uh, when I start world building, do I have any idea of the stories that I would want to write in the setting? Uh, they, they're they a big fan of the podcast and the videos, but they don't seem to know what to how to create a world unless they have an idea of what to do with the setting. So that, you know, they need to have a story to hang the world around. Um, I don't know. Uh, I think for me, my world building is more driven by an idea, like an idea for a setting. So this would be a cool thing to have in a society or this would be a cool uh, concept to explore. And I think the stories are more secondary to that. Um, Really? I think so. I don't know. Why does that surprise you? Uh, Because I would have had you pegged as a story first person. Yeah. And then the world just happens around it because, yeah, you, you see... From everything you've written on the podcast, you seem to be like mad into your characters and you're uh, constructing their lives and things like it seems bizarre that you were you sat down and worked out. Uh, oh, geez, what's the name of your planet called? It's not romance. What's it called? Uh, e. Cairn. 
Ikern, it seems weird that you would sit down and work work out Ikern in detail and then create stories. I think it would be the opposite. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I start with it with like a germ of a concept and put people in that to see how how they develop and how they develop tells me more about the world. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. But when you when you go to write for the podcast, mm-hmm. uh, what do you do? <laughs> That's a bit of a nebulous question. Uh, let me rephrase. Actually, uh, you know, there's a podcast coming up. Uh, yeah. How do you, like clockwork, produce some sort of story? Like, what's the process you go through? It's. I mean, it, it varies a lot. Sometimes I'll have, like, at one time I might have an idea for the next three episodes. All right. So I might have something in. January and that'll tell me what's going to happen in February and March um, or it might be the night before uh, recording and I'm desperately looking through the the prompts uh, heading on or slash world building to, to try and tell me what it is I want to write for this month. Oh, so you use or slash world building as a sort of stimulus? Sometimes. I lo- sometimes I look at the prompts. Yeah, now what... what I don't often go with that, but once or twice I've gotten good results out of it. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's kind of an organic thing that I start off with the germ of an idea, of a, a world-building idea, and then I put characters in that, and what they do kind of takes me towards how the, the rest of the world is. Huh. And then I repeat that process. Yeah, okay. I think that's it. And I mean, it's it's always it's always informed by what my other passing interests at the time are like a few months ago when i wrote about the the civil disturbance in lansk um, and yeah. that was because i had been thinking about the peterloo massacre which i had uh, recently learned about and gone to a lot of uh, exhibitions about and i mean that informed a general interest of mine in kind of the history of labor movements and stuff but... i i still i still maintain or i still uh think back on that episode and I'm still blown away by the fact that the genesis of that <clears throat> was Peterloo, particularly because we were at that time, man, it was just after the Portland riots and Hong Kong was going on. And I was like, oh, Bill's been watching the news, like clearly disinformed. It's like, no, <laughs> no, no. He looked way back into history. And that's the genesis. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> I like my I like my historical fiction. I like period dramas. What can I say? I was really relieved actually when you when you did say um, Peterloo, Peterloo, yeah, Peterloo, Peterloo. Um, because I because when when you sent me the thing before we started recording or before you read it, uh, I was prepared for like political a political discussion, like a, a, a um, what's the word contemporaneous political discussion. I was like, oh, this is never mm. going to end well, and I was really dreading it. And then you said Peterloo, and I was like, ah. Oh, a weight has been lifted off my shoulder. <laughs> Everything's fine. Um, but yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. Um, that's mad that you you seem to just be able to get the ideas fairly okay. Like um, I know a lot of people who who uh, like writing, and they just just getting the initial idea is really tough for them. And yeah, there's an awful lot of like I wrote it for ages, nothing good happened. But you seem to just always yeah. churn it out. Like there's like there's no tomorrow. I think that's really cool. Well, I'm 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 glad you say that because I I do struggle with like coming up with something a lot of the time, and 
uh, there's been there's been a few occasions where I've not really been that happy with what I've written, or I, I didn't feel it kind of captured what I wanted it to capture. But you know, my stuff usually seems well received by you and and by the listeners. So everyone loves uh, Bill. That's that's very nice to hear. <laughs> um, what's harder, uh, creating like world building and stories, uh, or getting the initial ideas for those, or getting the initial idea for music? Hmm. See, I. I was always writing stories and stuff when I was a kid and when I was a when I was a teenager and I didn't start composing till I was a little bit older. So I think in some ways the the writing the the words and world building is a little bit more natural to me. Wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. Huh. Your your chosen career is not the thing that you feel most natural with. <laughs> well, I wouldn't know if I'd go that far, but Sort of. That's crazy. That is crazy. Um, yeah, that's interesting. I would, I would, uh, I found it. I always found uh, getting the initial idea for writing music to be really tough. Um, yeah. Once that initial idea happened, like the the, the developing on that idea, like that's not that bad. Um, but yeah, you, there's, there's so often I'd be sitting in front of like my music software and be all like, nothing's coming out. I have nothing. Yeah. There is nothing in here, um, which is crazy. That's. That's one of the reasons I don't compose to software. I compose at the piano. Oh, yeah. 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 I should have done more of that, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, really? I, just, I don't know if I should bring this up. How far are we in? I suppose we, we do. It is on us to record as much as possible, given how late we are. Yeah. Um, but just, just a quick thing that, that's come across my radar that I would like to complain to you about um, on the subject of music. Uh, you know who Ben Shapiro is? Yeah. <laughs> Have you heard about his music comments that he's been making for like the best part of a decade, but they've come up recently again? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any thoughts? Yeah. <laughs> for for the listeners, I love the exasperation. For the listeners, uh, Ben Shapiro has stated uh, and has repeatedly stated that um, rap music is not music because according to his father who studied music in a in like a music conservatory uh music is made up of uh harmony melody and rhythm and it's not music unless you have most if not all of those things and for him rap only has rhythm ergo it's not music it's more like a spoken word and uh, it's it's I don't know that might I don't know if that seems intuitive to people. It maybe it does seem intuitive to people like uh, straight off the bat. But when you when you've studied music, it is such a broken way of defining it, and also like so meaningless. Like that he would like you know die on this hill of like definitions of music. It's so stupid. Like what is music? Who cares? Um, but it's been coming up lots, and it's just it's 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 so funny watching people lose their minds about it. It's just it's hilarious. I for one, I'm shocked. I thought from everything else about his persona and his public <laughs> behavior, I thought he would have been a huge fan of hip hop. I mean, clearly, like clearly, what's going on is that the people who produce hip hop music do not align with him, both in terms of culture and ideology, for the most part, and so he is clearly adverse to that genre and he's trying to uh, frame it in a sort of pseudo-academic sense to justify his aversion. He should just be honest 
and be like, I think it's crap. And that's fine. Like, that is totally fine if you mm-hmm. were like, I think rap is crap. Everyone is entitled to that opinion. But to be all like, it's not that I think it's crap. It is like, like rigorously, if we rigorously apply definitions, it is it is crap. And that's just nonsense, I think. Yeah. It's it's a rationalization. He is he he has his conclusion and he has decided yeah. to how to make the argument come to that conclusion. It's it's a nonsense. It's an abject nonsense. It it is. And uh, it's it's just it's it's just total it's total uh Western art music tradition chauvinism. Um but also bad at that because it's ignorant of so much within that uh tradition and that canon of work that it invalidates his own point. Oh, for sure. Like, obviously, and for everyone he's he's talked to, doesn't have the 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 Western art music training to be able to correctly rebuttal him. But I'd love if someone was like, "Oh, so uh, given that definition of yours, there, Shapiro, what do you think of the work of Stephen Reich?" <laughs> you know, mm. I like because if he, if he knew who that composer is, like he would reevaluate his de- definition straight away. Or like Ligeti's um, uh, Flux works, Flux Fluxus, Fluxus. Yeah, works like, dude, is that not music now? I'm, again, listener, I'm sorry, this is very kind of nerdy music stuff. Point is, even within Western art music, there are many examples of like just rhythm pieces that Ben would definitely include as music because they're made by like his people, like people who look like him and are kind of like, you know, hoity toity white people and all sort of jazz. Um, yeah, it's ridiculous. Anyway, back, back, but back to the point about music. A, um, I think a good definition was of music was one that you gave on the show. I think, uh, Bill, a few years ago, sound uh, sound ordered over time with artistic intent. Yeah, something like that. Yeah, and not not exclusively linguistic. I think that would have been part of it as well. Not exclusively linguistic. Yeah, so that there's there's a there's an element other than pure language to it. So that that means that there's a, a distinction between just reciting a like a poem or just saying the words of a poem. Um, although maybe that's not necessary because, you know, you have to deliver those with kind of rhythm and cadence. So, I don't know. But yeah, in, in, uh, sound organized over time with artistic intent. Yeah, I think that, well, actually, maybe just sound organized over time because would we call birdsong music? I wouldn't. Would you not? No. Why? I don't know. It seems like a like a... A human activity with a, with a different intent behind it. Okay, so music... Uh, okay, so no matter how much birds might sound like little musical instruments, music is really a human thing. Um, I mean, I don't know. There is a field of zoo musicology. Uh, I don't know enough about it to, <laughs> to to get too much into that. Is is there a field of zoo musicology? Th- there's a field of zoo musicology. Yeah, that is. Oh man, humans. I'm, are... I'm I'm almost positive. I'm almost positive. Humans humans are the best people, man. It's pretty great, isn't it? <laughs> uh, anyway, yeah. So uh, I think that's a good. Uh, we might quibble over the wit artistic intent thing, but overall, that's quite a good definition of music. But fundamentally. It's like, what is art? Like, these are questions that are kind of meaningless to be worrying about. Um, and it's, it's art hilarious. Is, art, is paintings of, art is paintings of naked ladies on, on the walls of big houses. Yes. Yes. That's what art is. That is, that is exactly what art is, 100%. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's fun that Shapiro is like so dogmatic 
uh, with this like broken definition when like the notion of being dogmatic to yeah. definitions to do with art is just it's just silly like it's just so silly uh, anyway, 12 tone has has a good video about this a good a good rebuttal 12 12 tones rebuttal is uh i don't know if good is the right word man it's a rebuttal uh and it, it is solid but it's it's so it's so music nerdy that it's only ever gonna it's convincing no one like all the music nerds okay. know that this is nonsense with shapiro we don't need to be throwing all this to have all this technical language thrown at us but the people who aren't music nerds that his description of things is just so over the top that they're never going to see uh, the daylight there it needs to be way more simple like i think what we said here like how about this definition sounds organized mm. in time with artistic intent you know and then people can weigh those things up but going into advanced theory and stuff it it doesn't do the cause any good okay links in the description mm. to that video yeah <laughs> it's good <laughs> All right. Okay. So uh, that is that is uh, follow up and pre show on the like. Will we stop and save? I'm going to get some lempsip and another strepsil. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm going to make some tea and watch your video. Excellent. I will see you in about five minutes. All right. See you. Sh- well, the video is probably longer than that, is it? I'll see you in about ten minutes. See you in about ten minutes. Good luck. <laughs> okay. Uh, world billing. Uh, do you want to start with world building? Yeah, let's start. Let's start with world building. Do you want to start with world let's building? Start. Um, I'm happy to start with world building. Let's do some world building. What do you got for us this okay. week, Bill? This month, <laughs> I have a map. A map. Indeed, indeed, I do. Links in the show notes, everyone. For those who um who who can't uh, go visual with this podcast, uh, do you want to paint a word picture there, Bill? So I have, this is a map of Lansk, which is the city that I, I've put my last few writings in. Um, uh, in Ikern. On Ikern. In Ikern, yes. It is, it, is one of the, it is one of the cities of the spires sort of culture, the Abesque culture. Um, okay, so roughly in this map, I've got a river that runs from the top left. Uh, it runs kind of diagonally. Let's you know it's it's aligned north roughly towards the top, so it runs kind of uh, southeast and then turns, so it's running more directly east and then turns towards the south again. Mm-hmm. Um, on the northern bank and a little bit on the southern bank of of this river, there is a city, uh, and there is a large bridge spanning the river. There's an island in the middle, which one of the which one of the pillars of the bridge goes into. Um, this this map is is somewhat uh, abstract. It's not like a it's not a drawing or a very precise like cartographic representation, but it's you know a, a layout of the city. Um, the notable thing about this city is that it is uh, populated by several large towers. Mm. Uh, there are seven marked here on the map, and I have numbered them, and it may not seem logical the way in which they're numbered or that they're laid out on the map that's the order they were built in okay so they're ordered they're 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 numbered from oldest to newest right and for, again for those who who can't see um the illogical order is kind of like uh you have one two three four six and seven on one side of the river and then you have like five on the other side of the river um yes yeah so it's it, it looks a bit funky so yeah that makes sense mm-hmm 
Um, to the the left, or I guess to the west of the bridge along the riverbank, are the keys. Mm-hmm. To the west of that, there is a field, and on the far west of, of the field, there is a hill. Uh, these are the ones mentioned in the writings from from before, from the civil disturbances in Lansk. That that field is where the ah. uh, demonstration took place, and the hill is the hill behind which the the marines assembled. And the militia had surrounded that field to stop the, the crowd getting out or to stop people getting in to be able to tell them about the, the Marines assembling. Um, and there are also, there's three uh, uh, company depots dotted around the, the city. In the north here between Towers 4 and 6, the kind of northern end of, of the city, we have the Tamar Company Depot. Mm-hmm. To the east... Um, we have the Valdin Company Depot. We haven't heard about the Valdin before, have we? Uh, I don't think we have, no. Yeah, no. okay, cool. And then to on the southern side of the river, to the the east of the bridge and the, the fifth tower, uh, there's the Eltian Company Depot. And again, I don't think we've, we've heard of those, those people either. I don't think we have, no. Okay, yeah, cool. Uh, those are the three companies that have a presence in, in Lansk. Sure. And uh, what else do we have here? Oh, yes. the the You can see that I've given sort of rough outlines around the towers and then in, in some of their areas. Um, what that is, those are the, the different districts. They're largely situated and organized around towers, um, around the spires. So they would be kind of have grown up as areas for warehouses and and housing for the construction of the towers and then once the once the building was complete they would just the people would kind of stay on living there and the the warehouses would become repurposed for other materials or would become businesses or whatever and um, sure. the abesque as a culture don't give don't care all that much for for ground infrastructure like they don't build roads across the continent or anything um they they lay out their cities in a somewhat ad hoc fashion, um, and then anything long distance is done by air. Okay. Um, yeah, and the the construction of the towers is a pretty large undertaking. It's it's a large um, it's it, it's it's very costly, and it's it's a large project, and they're usually financed either by sort of roughly like aristocratic families. Mm-hmm. Would, would kind of be a close analogue, uh, or in more recent years, by uh, merchant houses and uh, you know wealthy licensed prospectors and things like that. So they would uh, build this to... They would build the tower and they would kind of build the district around it as a work camp. And then they would, you know, remain as landlords or as owners for, the, for most of the district. So there's a, a slight kind of, um, not quite feudalism to it, but it wouldn't be a million miles off either. Like, they kind of are very powerful within the districts of the 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 spires they've constructed. What's the purpose of the spires? Like, why have all these towers? Um, it's a symbol of uh, wealth, and also, like, they, the Abesque are better at construction than any of the other cultures. So it's kind of, they're kind of showing off their, their knowledge and their power. Well, so, um, so they have, they have no f- practical use. Well, like, no, like people live in them. Okay. All right. So, all right. So do, are they, are they like high rise, like apartments sort of thing? 
Uh, yes, the the upper levels would be where the wealthy live. Okay, all right, okay. And what what's going yes. on the lower levels? Uh, there would be uh, cheaper, um, cheaper accommodation, and there would be businesses, and there would be lots of different purposes, warehouses, and and things like that. Okay, okay. So it's like swanky penthouse suites for the rich people, and they keep they keep putting up these towers because rich people want more swanky penthouses to live in. Kinda, yeah. Okay, all right. That's cool. That's cool. But as I said, historically, historically the wealthy would have built them for themselves. Um, it's not like, you, you mm-hmm. know, it's, it's not quite the same as a, you know, building a new apartment uh, development um, with one exception here. Oh, what's the one exception? Uh, the most recent construction uh, marked seven on the map called the Bundle, which is actually it's five towers. Oh. And that was built uh, by a, a merchant, a merchant house uh, do you remember uh, Baron Te Eintof, who I who I yep. referred to in, in the last two writings, who's mm-hmm. the the bailiff of Lansk? Um, that would be his family. They uh, financed and constructed this uh, this group of five towers and the district around it. Um, and it's called a bundle because they're quite close together, and there are connections. There are like cable cars and things uh, going between the towers around the outside, and then connecting the four outside ones, to the tallest central tower. Oh, cool. So it looks like they're lashed together, kind of. Uh, the the towers, right? You seem to have some mm-hmm. sort of sense of scale here on the map. Yes. Like, there appears to be bigger towers and smaller towers. Uh, is Am I correct mm. in thinking that tower number one is the smallest and tower number five is the biggest? Um, tower number five is the one that is probably the highest because it is built atop a hill. But the actual, the tallest one from base to its peak is number four, the Great Tower. So I'll, I'll just I'll just go through and I'll list these off. Yeah, go for it. So Tower number one, which you can see here down by the river to the uh, east of the bridge, is called the First Tower. And it is 53 mm-hmm. lengths high and it is it contains 30 floors. Oh, come here. What's a length? So a length is a, a unit of measurement used in um, the Abesque culture, which is roughly the height of a tall man. About six foot. No, much more. A bit, bit more, actually. Yeah, tall. What, what are tall people? Like what? Six? A very tall person would be like six, five and above, wouldn't they? In our gravity. Oh, okay. All right. Fair enough. Okay, so 53 legs. <laughs> Um, and has 30 floors Uh, then to the east of that there is uh, the old tower uh, which is the second tower built in Lansk uh, which is 61 lengths tall and contains 35 floors Mm. the third, the Grand Tower is built to the north of the Keys uh, 78 lengths in height and 40 floors Uh, the Great Tower the tallest one we have here which was, they were built around the same time, the Grand and the Great Tower, and they both wanted to have sort of an impressive name. And the the Great Tower just outperformed the Grand Tower and is, <laughs> is the tallest one we have. Um, is 88 lengths in height and has 45 floors. Um, the High Tower, here to the south of the river, uh, built atop that hill, is 70 lengths from base to, to peak and 36 floors. 
The new tower, which is the northernmost one here, is 66 lengths and contains 38 floors. And the bundle, as I said, is a complex of five towers, the shortest being 52 lengths and the tallest being 70 lengths. And they have between 30 and 40 floors. Um, re- real quick, sorry, it's a bit of a tangent here. Uh, beside, yep. uh, what's number one? Beside the first tower, you have a region mm-hmm. called the Bolt. What is the Bolt? So it's the Bolt. The Bolt. What is the Bolt? Yes. Um, that's like uh, built on an, you can see it's built in sort of an island there. A delta where the where the the those streams turn into the the larger river, mm-hmm. and that's just a a really marshy island that gets constantly flooded and stuff. So that's like a really really poor area, um, wooden shacks built on built on stilts and things. Okay, okay, cool. Um, yeah. what is what is the the wealthiest area in in this on this map? Um, on the ground level, they're all pretty equal. Um, right, because the wealthy the wealthy live in spires, and are all the spires the same? Well, no, they can't be the same. Surely, surely, uh, everyone wants to live in the Great Tower. Uh, no, not really. I mean, the first tower has the prestige of being the oldest. So, is there is so where where is prime real estate? Um, atop, like high up in any of the towers, high up, in, and they're all kind of equal. Um, I mean, there would be there would be other like, affiliations that would decide which one you'd prefer and stuff. Um, right. I'm I'm sure like the 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 wealthy the old money would consider uh, the the bundle to be kind of gauche and you know nova riche, um, <laughs> perhaps. Um, the bundle, incidentally, is where um, oh, what was the guy whose whose point of view we read from last month? Um, I mean, that character has just built. You made up the character, <laughs> like. Oh, I I know. Uh, oh, sorry, not not last month. The 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 previous episode, the the first one we had about the about the riot. Um, Dajag, Dajag has apartments in the bundle, um, on the kind of the southern end. So he that's why he had a good view of the field for the to see the riot. Oh, excellent. Uh, yeah. Oh, oh. Uh, speaking of good view of the field, what sort of scale are we talking here? Um, to walk from, say, the the old tower to number two to the the field to the to the hill would be about like fifteen twenty minutes. Oh, so it's quite small. It's quite compact. Well, I guess. Yeah, like a twenty minute walk is like again, assuming that the, these people's um, uh, gait is the same as ours or relatively same. Twenty minutes is like. It's two, not two, <laughs> well. So two kilometers. So they might go if they go a little bit more. Three kilometers, four kilometers, maybe. That's quite. That's quite small, yeah. man. Well, I mean, it's like a. Let's say, like, if if it was a, a square, it would be a mile and a half on a side. Okay. Which is like, which is like a. I don't know. Um, that's the guts of what London was around sixteen hundred. Oh yeah, yeah. That that's fair. I, I suppose I'm used to. Uh, Thinking about cities being this, these massive sprawling things, they were not always that. That makes sense. Um, yeah. and uh, it's it's quite it's quite um, densely populated. Uh, population. Uh, I haven't worked that out. Okay, but dense. But dense. Uh, you said uh, Tower Seven or Tower Seven, the bundle, uh, were the newest mm-hmm. construction uh, to yeah. have occurred. Is there plans underway for a Tower Eight? Uh, almost certainly. Almost certainly. So almost these are things that are just continuously being put up. 
Yeah, I mean, like the the first tower, it was centuries old, um, but uh, I guess their their economy has accelerated in the last couple of generations. So it's becoming um, there is more concentration of wealth and more willingness to use that wealth for uh, works like that. Okay, and and paint a paint a word picture here. What does what do these look like? Um. Oh, like what building material, etc. Uh, so like stone and brick, largely. Okay, and like they're just like square, like big giant rectangles. Uh, no, not necessarily. Not necessarily. Um, some of them would be. Uh, some of them would be a uh, little, little more circular or kind of irregularly shaped, and they would. Uh, they they get gradually uh, thinner as as they get higher. Um, okay. Like the, so they tend to be broader, tend to be broader at the base. Not quite like conical or pyramidal or anything, but just wider at the base, just for stability. And then that allows them to get quite high, like the Burj Khalifa. <laughs> sure. Uh, I mean, like that's not that's not entirely not accurate. It's it's wider at the base. It it tapers. It's uh, not <laughs> so exactly square. It's conical uh, in many parts. Well, not conical. Sorry, cylindrical in many parts. Um, is there a, is there a real world building that you would be modeling these off? Um, I had some real world inspiration to help me get an idea of uh, scales and 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 things for this sort of approximate level of technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, the tallest building in the world, as far as I could figure out, in uh, the year eighteen hundred was the Strasbourg Cathedral, the spire of the Strasbourg Cathedral, which was 142 metres high. Uh, the world's tallest brick minaret is the Minaret and Ketub, or the Ketub Mosque, which is 73 metres. And in the city of Bologna in Italy, there's they had a historical thing of building massive towers, um, and the tallest of those is 97 metres. Oh, wow, okay. Oh, that's mad! It looks it looks shocking, assassin greedy. Oh, absolutely, yeah, Look absolutely. At that. But they, these were built these were built in like the eleven hundreds, I think. Man, some of these are super lopsided. Yeah, <laughs> the lead, it's like the leading tower of Pisa. That's crazy. Yeah, would the some of the towers look uh, a lot like these? Um, some of them would. Yeah, they'd be a, they'd be broader. Okay, they wouldn't be as, uh, or at least to be broader at the base. Um, and they'd have more going on and they wouldn't just be kind of like a rectangular box. Okay, I'll, I'll leave a link in the show notes just so people can go check it out. Dude, these yeah. are cool looking. It's very cool, isn't it? Yeah. In Bologna. Interesting. All right, cool. Uh, any any further uh, bits on that? I don't think so. No, I think that's most of it. Um. Oh yeah, people also live on the bridge. So the bridge is like, uh, if, if you ever look at what the historic London Bridge was like, there were houses built on the bridge. Um, so this bridge is, uh, again, quite a large affair. Um, and I mean, like, river vessels are easily able to pass underneath and through it. And people live in the... People live on buildings constructed on the bridge and within the structure of the bridge itself and on the island below it in the middle. Bill, you know why you said that uh, there were houses on London Bridge? Yeah. Why, why did they go away? 
because uh, it's an awful idea. <laughs> I mean, is it an awful idea? What's what's? Well, I mean, that's a that's a load of extra weight to put on a bridge, which you could not have all that thing there, and it would be able to take more traffic safely. Mm. Um, and also, you would have to build it like really, really like broad to avoid having terrible congestion on it, which historically that happened. Like London Bridge was extremely dangerous to try and cross. Really? Oh yeah, <laughs> really dangerous because there would be like people trying to drive cattle across it and people trying to bring carts across it and pedestrians and then just houses and shops and stuff all around. So it was, yeah, it was a mess. Was was London Bridge uh, conceived of as being a place where housing uh, would be present or did people just kind of like... Uh build houses on their own volition without, uh, like, planning permission, things like that? I don't know. Hmm. That's a good what, question. What's what's the story in, in Landscare? Is this, uh, has this bridge been designed to take houses or have people just moved in because of the density of population? Uh, it, it was designed to have construction on it, yeah. Okay. Um... Now, it does also still have problems with, with congestion and things and people trying to cross over. But as I said, the, the the city is put together on a fairly ad hoc basis. There isn't a lot of central thought about the planning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they, they think of things in aerial terms very much because they they have access to aircraft. Yeah. Um, and they can, there are obviously like ferries and stuff that operate as well. You know, individuals will own a boat and they will take you across the river. Um, but, but also that's kind of, that's looked down upon a bit. But I'm oh, all right. Um, but I'm assuming though, uh, air travel and like uh, travel by by on water, um, would be a rich person's shtick, wouldn't it? Uh, not to get a, like a ferry across the river wouldn't be okay. wouldn't be that expensive. No, but 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 um, to, but to uh, have air travel. Um, yeah, like I mean, people wouldn't tend to take long journeys anyway. I mean, it would be like taking a a long boat journey in in historical Earth. That would be an expensive enough thing unless right. you wanted to work your way. Sure, sure. Okay. Yeah. All right. Cool. Um and yeah, so you people from the the Abesque culture would not tend to to go on long river trips because that's more of a Erthani Erthani thing, okay. Um the Erthani river traders, you know, it's kind of their they that is their medium and and the Abesque don't like to sully themselves with with mucking about on water. Excellent. I uh, thoroughly enjoy. It. I I love maps. I because I because I do things visually. Uh, I love mm-hmm. I love having maps. So uh, thank you, Bad. Uh, my pleasure. My pleasure. Um, links to the show notes as always, folks. Uh, you go. You can go check it out. Um, yeah. Shall we move on to uh, a bit of Edgar videos? Some Edgar videos. Let's move on. Let's move on to Edgar videos. All right. So uh, since the last time we recorded. How many videos have come out since the last time we recorded, Bill? Now that it occurs to me. What was the last thing we talked about this show? Oh, hold on. Let's find out. We're, oh, we have show notes. We can have a look at this. Oh, I was just going to look at the website. Inventing um, a number system. Uh, yeah, so we've had... We talked about inventing a number system the last time. Um, mm-hmm. I also released that hour-long so thing. My, my dog is what? barking her head off. What? I, I, I don't know if you could pick that up. My dog was absolutely roaring her head up. There she goes again. Oh, how's your dog? What's your dog called? Bonnie? Bonnie, yeah. How How is Bonnie? Um, She's got awful allergies. How has she? Yeah. Is she still, she's, is she still representing the wrong family? 
What? No, the the bandana. She was wearing the purple bandana and it was no good. But it should be green. Oh well, she actually she she had to get a new collar. Um, okay. That says do not feed because of her allergies. Um, so we don't want her like going into other people's gardens and then feeding her because they'll give her stuff she's allergic to. Um, and it's like a, a big thick purple collar with white writing saying do not purple. feed. So yeah, she. So she's back in the ball as colors. Ball as colors. That's no good, man. That's no good. Yeah. Grove Street for life. <laughs> Actually, um, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna. Yeah. Sure, we'll we'll leave her in the podcast. She can be a guest. <laughs> you guess this much. Uh what was I saying yeah so uh, uh, we talked about inventing a number system uh, my collaboration with uh, Mitch Haley of Conline Critic last time uh, since then I released that hour long video of me counting um, not a whole lot to report on that but I got I got some flack from people uh, when I called it a sh- post it's being all like don't be derogatory of your own work Edgar it's, it's not a sh- post oh that's nice it is nice, but I just want to flag, bring up the posting for me. I love posting. Like it is, posting is not a uh, negative thing. I think it's a wonderful part of internet culture. Uh, so if I say if I ever make a post, I'm genuinely really proud of it, and not like uh, <laughs> I'm not being self-deprecating. Is the only thing to say about that. Other than that, there's not really much to talk about that video. It's just it's just a whole lot of me counting. Um, so sorry for for anyone who missed that. This was a video. Of you counting for an hour. Yeah. <laughs> I counted goats and sandwiches for an hour. In Oa. In in Oa. It took it took so much time to make, man. I had to make because every every so there's four number systems, or there's four sets of numbers. Um mm-hmm. and I counted two hundred and fifty-six, uh, like base ten, two hundred and fifty-six in each of them. So yeah. that's two hundred and fifty-six times four. So that's the amount of slides I had to make for the video. It took yeah. so long. <laughs> it was it was oh, it was crazy. Like this high effort, high, high effort, low content posting. Uh, so you made one kilo slide in in computer science terms. I made one. Yeah, I'm sure. Let's go with that. I made one kilo slide. There was there was a lot. It was it was it was a bit mental. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway. So not a whole lot to talk about that. Uh, after that video, uh, I just recently brought out hot and cold climates so this is a continuation of the climate uh, series links in the show notes uh, where i discuss how you might address uh creating a climate map if your planet is hotter and colder than earth now bill you just mm-hmm. had a look at it is there anything you want to bring up I before did. i launch it to my one point that i think is salient um couple of things. Uh, the cold, I thought, was really interesting. The cold world. It was... Broadly, it seemed more extreme than, than ours. Like, the, the deserts were smaller, mm-hmm. but the, the Mediterranean areas were larger. And a lot of the temperate areas seemed smaller, which mm-hmm. was interesting. Um, and the transitions were more rapid. It was, like, more suddenly going from, from the colder biomes to the hotter ones. Uh, would you say that's, that's accurate? Uh, from memory, yeah. I think so. Yeah. Um, the hot I found really surprising that the rainforests were smaller. That seemed totally counterintuitive, and the the deserts were kind of they acted really unexpectedly as well. Like the there would be, the Sahara had a desert contained within a sort of a steppe area, um, which was kind of a grassland area, which was pretty cool. Yeah, I um, I tried to find out why the hell that occurred. No idea. 
absolutely no <laughs> idea because usually those sort of anomalous things are down to elevation and you're kind of like oh, oh yeah. you know that that's what caused that thing not the case there i don't i don't i've no idea why why that occurs um so yeah fair enough um the thing about the tilt so you said that the the northern hemisphere was tilted towards the sun um in the hot period that you examined mm-hmm. and the the southern hemisphere was tilted away um is that a thing that's independent of the fact it was a hotter world generally? Like, it's, yeah. that's not something that if, if it is a hotter world, there will be a different tilt or anything. I'm assuming it's totally independent. It's totally independent. It just so happened yeah. that uh, Earth was hotter and uh, the tilt uh, aligned that way to kind of amplify that. But yeah, no. The tilt was more extreme. The Yeah, yeah. Um, the, the, what is that called? The precession of axial tilt. That's its own cycle that just does its yeah. own thing. Right, and you you have videos on tilt anyway, don't you? I have one video which I still need to remake because it has that error in it, but that that'll eventually will happen. Um, how long ago was the the hot period you examined? Uh, hundred and twenty thousand years ago, wasn't it? Hundred and twenty. I think. 000. I think it was. That sounds. It's something in that kind of scale. Yeah. Sure. Um. Yeah. So that's not long enough ago for the for like continental drifts to be a huge issue right like the the layout of everything is roughly the same yeah 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 exactly and this is one of the problems with uh do you remember in the video i brought up that earth was way hotter like 55 million years ago um yeah one of the big problems with looking like a there's no data uh because it's so far back Mm. um and b the continents are just doing all sorts of stuff so it's really hard to say like even if there was data it'd be really hard to say that this is occurring uh, or why is this occurring? Could it be that like the oceans are doing whatever because of the different arrangement of continents? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, the whole way through the video, I was thinking, oh, it'd be great if there was a a chart where you could see all of these side by side. Um, and you did give one, at the, which is linked in the show in the in the description for the video. Do you have one that also includes like our temperate Earth? No, in the chart. no, I should do that. Hold on, making notes. That would be very helpful. Make temperate chart and link in show notes. Yeah, okay, we'll do. That's a, that's, that's a good call. And back. so all three side by side. Yep, we'll do. Um, You can thank Bill for that one, folks. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, I really, I, I thought it was really good. Um, I think it's one of those kind of videos where... I got something out of watching it, but I would really get a lot out of sitting down and working through it methodically. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, but it, it did that method that, that I absolutely love and I always support, which was kind of do it by inspection. I eyeball it and see why does this make sense? What, what is the situation? You know, you, you, this is the latitude and the elevation and the currents and, then just like apply that more broadly and look at yeah. the reasons behind it. I mean, which I think is just it's a it's a great method overall for world building. Yeah, and there's no way in this instance of doing anything else. Like you have to just eyeball. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's no. I've never come across a methodology other than that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, my I have one point to bring up about it. Sure. Um, that actually no, sorry, two points. Uh, one is that uh, a lot of people were uh, asked why don't you explain a lot of what you're saying? As in like the rainforest shrank without any explanation as to why that occurred. Um, yeah. And the answer for that is there is no explanation. I have no idea. And none of the sources gave any sort of explanation for it. Um, so mm-hmm. this is very much a kind of like 
outlining observations video as opposed to explaining those observations. Like I tried to explain like with Sahara and things where I could find stuff, but for the most part, all of this is unexplained. And that's a kind of, it's unfortunate, uh, but we all need to live with that. So Mm -hmm. um, nothing you can do about it. Uh, And the other point, the other thing I want to bring up is uh, for those people who might be all like, oh, it's an awful lot of work. Like, what is this about? Um, There is an alternative method that I nearly put in the video that I'm not massively fond of, but it is in the literature. uh, And that is uh, playing around with your cells. So, you know the way tree circulation cells per hemisphere, Bill? Biohacking. Biohacking. Sorry? (laughs) But, quick, really quick tangent. I've been listening to people who... who are self-proclaimed biohackers, they're really mm-hmm. odd people, like really strange people. And they seem to be like almost more into the nerdery of biohacking than actually doing something that benefits their health. Like there was this chap on Joe Rogan recently. I can't remember what his name was, um, but he was like like going on about like, oh, I supplement with this and I take like these fungal compounds or whatever. And that's because it does this to my whatever. And then Joe asks him, do you exercise? And he goes, no. And I'm like, do you know, it's, it's almost like this... Um, I don't like fitness pornography or health pornography where it's like you spend lots of time sorting out and arranging your various supplement bottles and taking your pills, but you're not actually healthy. You're kind of conning yourself into it. It's weird. Those biohacking people are strange. I've, it, yeah. I find them weird. That was my tangent. Back to it. Yeah, that's no, no disagreement. Uh, back to it. Oh yeah. So three circulation cells per hemisphere. If we, we can roughly assume that uh, the zone under the Hadley cell is like hot, the zone under the feral cell is temperate, and the zone under the polar cell is cold, right? Sure. If uh, for a hot world, we can, with a lot of hand-waving, say that uh, climates in hot zones will be preferred, right? Um, Because the world is hotter. So you can kind of mimic this by just expanding your Hadley cell. So like, as in like making more of hot zone and shrinking the other two um, mm-hmm. and applying the same rules as in, as is in the uh, earth-like planet uh, climate video. Um, and then for cold planets, you do the reverse. Uh, if it's cold, uh, cold, plan- uh, cold climates would be preferred. So expand your polar cell and shrink the other two and then apply standard earth-like climates to it. Um, this can kind of sort of sell the idea of this planet is hotter or colder um, but you're going to miss out things like the greening of the Sahara um, the introduction of cold steps uh, sorry cold deserts into Sahara you're going to miss out those sort of things so it's a really crude tool but it's a thing advocated by your man Mark Rosenfelder in his planet construction kit which is one of the kind of seminal books in this sort of genre of ours Um, Mm -hmm. so that is a thing Uh, so if you want to do that feel free to do that Cool. Cool. Uh, Those are my two points. Awesome. As is customary, uh, we have some Bank of Artifexia. Sure do. Triumphant return of Bank of Artifexia. And in a a shocking plot twist, uh, one of our contributors today is a a chap known as Bill McGrath. Yeah. Who knew? Who knew? So do you want to talk through your contribution to the Bank of Artifexia? Um, So as anyone who follows us will know, uh, I was in South America for the last half of February and the first half of March. 
and I brought home some money from that. I brought home some, uh, oh wait, actually, hold on. Oh. I thought you had this other country as well. Anyway, I have two banknotes with me. Oh, um, okay. Uh, the first one that I have sent you is from Uruguay. Uruguay? Yes, so it is a Uruguayan 100 peso note. Mm, very cool. Do you know anything about the chap mm-hmm. on the front here? Um, I'm trying to find this out here now. While, um, uh, while you're Googling, folks, uh, what I find a bit weird here, uh, and maybe it's just my ignorance, is that this 100 peso note, the pesos, are marked with a dollar sign, which is really oh, strange. Yeah. I, I did, is that a universal thing for pesos? To be marked with dollar sign? It's bizarre. I don't know. Hmm. So the guy the guy here that you can see pictured on the obverse is Eduardo Fabini, who was a Uruguayan composer and musician. His dates are 1882 to 1950. He died the day before his birthday. Oh, oh that's terrible. That sucks. <laughs> yeah, so what age are you? He was like 60. He was about to turn 68. Oh. That's terrible. What sort yeah. of composer was he? Is he a Western art music composer, or what's what's the crack? Uh, yeah, I guess so. It says it says here on, on Wikipedia works symphonic music, yeah. then choir and orchestra, singer and piano, piano solo. So yeah, that makes uh, sense. At the age of four years, his favorite toy was the ac- accordion. Oh, that's very cute. That's horrific. Man, the accordion's class. I I don't think accordions are class. I think I think I'm on team. They're cats in a bag. My my father played accordion. Uh, a lot and it was it was hard to take really yeah he played um he played both the he didn't play the classical accordion but he played the button accordion and like the keyboard accordion uh we had two knocking around the house and it was just like there's so many times i've been like that 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 it's okay just you don't need to awesome it's yeah (laughs) sure uh a hundred uruguay like what did he play on them did he play like folk music or uh, he he played like yeah like German folk music like tunes he would have cool. uh, grown up listening to, um, mm-hmm. and I suppose he, there was a bit of trad in there as well that he picked up, but he never really got on board with which Irish trad music he never really liked it. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like and I mean like, he played a whole heap of instruments like he played the piano and he played a little bit of guitar, um, and he was mildly competent at the flute. As in, like, the, the silver flute. Um, okay. But would he play those instruments? No. It was always accordion. Accordion was his main bag. And I was like, of all the fucking instruments, fodder. <laughs> Go on, Edgar's dad. I love it. Uh, um, yeah, so that's the that's the 100 peso note. So the 100, 100 pesos, 100 Uruguayan pesos is, for people, is 240 euro, uh, which is... What is that? That is $2.67. $2.67. And then for our friends across the Irish Sea, where is British pounds? It's about £2.7p. Two, two uh, and it is uh, 0.00036 in Bitcoin. Oh, geez. Bitcoin's gone up. Bitcoin's gone up again. Second bubble incoming. Oh God! Oh God is right. Um, cool, man. We should. Uh, I'm. I'm assuming we're going to meet up in in your hometown for our our uh, Star Wars special in December. 
Um, Presumably, we, hopefully, hopefully, I would like to if you'll have me. So maybe you we you could hand me over uh, some pesos when I'm there. Yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. Woo. Now you you made noise as if you have a second note incoming. Yeah. Uh, hold on, I'm, I'll just send this to you. Okay. Um, and if you already have this country, I'm sorry. I thought that you had, but it's not listed on the map on the website. So maybe you just haven't updated the map, or maybe I'm wrong. Argentina. Banco Central de la República Argentina. Pronounced terribly, I know. I'm sorry, Spanish speakers. Almost That's certainly. Cl- that is class. Uh, do we know who this chap is? Jose de San Martin. Yes. So he is like the... The big dude in the the story of the liberation of Argentina from the Spanish Empire, as oh. as far as I understand, and I think a couple of other countries as well. Um, you know, like Simon Bolivar. Oh, I've heard about him. Yeah. So yeah, he he was like uh, Bolivia and Venezuela, he, and I think the San Martin is a similar sort of figure for other parts of of the continent. Um, oh, okay. And I think they I think they knew each other. I'm not sure. Um, because they were around the same time and they had similar similar kind of goals, um, and they they are big into San Martin in uh, Argentina. Like every place I visited had like a street named after him and stuff. So that's him on the front there, and on the back. Oh, that that picture came out upside down for some reason when I sent it to you. Um, so here on on the back we have San Martin again. Uh, apologies if I'm mispronouncing his name. Um, I don't know where to put the stress. And according to Wikipedia, we also have Simon Bolivar and uh, Jose Artigas, who's the uh, hero for Uruguay, and Bernardo O'Higgins, which, first of all, is a what? fantastic name. O'Higgins. Bernardo O'Higgins, yeah. Yes. And he, this is actually really interesting. He's uh, a Chilean guy, and I think he's the father of the Chilean Navy. Huh. I think he was he was big he was big in the Navy. Um I'm just gonna Check that here, Navy. Yeah, he founded the modern Chilean Navy um, alongside Lord Cochrane, who's a famous uh, uh, British uh, naval hero of the first half of the 1800s. So like the Napoleonic War kind of year and a little bit afterwards. Um, and he's of Irish descent, obviously. Yeah, obviously, um, O'Higgins-like. Yeah. Uh, and there was there was a couple of people like that in in the history of South America. There's someone else similar who I just I can't bring the name to mind, who was of very clearly of Irish descent, who was a key figure in one of the the independence struggles. Huh. What brought the Irish mm-hmm. to South America of all places? I don't know. That's mad. To be honest, I guess we went lots of places. Bernard, um, Bernardo like, O'Higgins, <laughs> what a city name! Yeah, there were there were. Um, Irish-speaking communities in Argentina for a while, um, just like there's still a Welsh-speaking community somewhere there. Oh. Um, uh, Che Guevara had an Irish grandmother, I believe. Oh, I heard of that before. Yeah, yeah. So, like, he w- he was technically would have been eligible to to play county for Westmeath or something. <laughs> to play county for Westmeath, <laughs> apparently. Oh no, so he would have been sorry, he would have been eligible uh, eligible to play on on the the Irish national team to his his grandmother, I think. That's um, that's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was a Lynch. He was he 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 was descended from from Irish Lynch people. Um, oh, interesting. Yeah. Shay Lynch. Um, five Argentine Argentine uh, pesos are uh, zero point seven six euro. 
Um, and then in dollar, that is 0 0.85 US dollars. Um, yeah, that's class. It's a it's a mad looking note, man. It, it it looks very, it looks very like East Asian. Do you reckon? Yeah, it also looks like the me and the boys meme on the back, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, that's cool. It looks pretty cool. Thank you, man. Not at all. Not at all. Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll. Sorry, I thought you already had Argentina, but I wasn't sure. I'll uh, I'll hand this over to you next time I see you. That's that would be amazing, um, which is likely going to be uh, Star Wars. Have you seen anything? Have you heard anything about the Star Wars thing? Um, very, very little. I haven't yeah. watched any trailers. No, I don't watch trailers. Um, okay. okay. I know there's there's men on the internet angry about it, so you know nothing new there. <laughs> Standard protocol. This is what happens. Standard uh, protocol. I I hope. I really hope it's. It's like, you know, I've adopted this sort of like everything is good attitude now. And like, it's entertainment. It's fine. It's not high art. But I really hope it's um, a satisfying conclusion to, mm -hmm. to to the story. Because like the last one, I know loads of people love the last one. But like you and I, we both really did not like the last one. Um, and I hope it's a step up from that. I really do. Yeah. But the, the thing I want to really stress here is, I know I was complaining about there were men angry on the internet about it. Um... And I, I didn't like the film, but I liked it for almost the opposite reasons to to all those angry internet men. Like, I, <laughs> well, like it was it it wasn't it wasn't woke enough. Well, no, it was just like you know they they were complaining that there was there was too many women and stuff in it, and I thought like a lot of the, the female characters were actually didn't actually have all that much agency, and the the guys who messed everything up just got away with it, like Finn and Poe. Like set back the 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 rebels or the the republic or whatever severely, and they were just like it was fine at the end. They were just forgiven and trusted, and just yeah, you know, I don't know. And it had it had so many. I'm not going to go into, it, but I'm not going to go into it. We have whole episode about this, so <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my big thing uh, that I still think is sorely missing from this new trilogy is um like a cohesive bond between the characters. Like, yeah. I, I know we get an awful lot of Finn and Ray hanging out in the first movie, and I think that's really good for setting up a sort of, like, buddy dynamic. But, like, your man Poe is kind of off doing his own thing, largely. I don't feel invested in him as a member yeah. of this, this group. The sec, the, the last movie, they were really off doing their own thing. Oh, like, all of the characters. And, like, I... Yeah. I, I, like, there's nothing wrong with Ray that. Ray and Poe have barely interacted at all. Yeah, exactly. And they're meant to be, like, the central characters. Um, yeah. It's 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 weird. It's just, I my big issue with it is I just I don't think the storytelling is of of great quality. Um, like, I don't care mm -hmm. about all the, the politics behind it and, like, you know, the whatever, what, what the female uh, actors are doing. Whatever. I don't really care about that. Like, but I just, the, um, yeah, it's just not a, a story that is engaging to me. And I just hope this third one is, does something to bring all the things together and in a very satisfactory way i hope mm -hmm. um anyhow anyhow i have a note bill yeah that has come from... oh i suspect i suspect i know what this is actually yeah because i sent you a picture man of course you know what it is <laughs> before you sent me the picture i had a suspicion of what this would be and my suspicion was correct no way how did you have how did you know that because I saw an interaction between on, on Twitter between you and the person who sent it to you. 
and I follow that person on Twitter, and I had seen where they had been on holidays recently. They had, they had mentioned where they'd been on holidays recently. So I was like, oh. oh, I wonder, will it be from this place? And it was. So for people who uh, don't follow John Lang uh, on, on Twitter, uh, John Lang uh, has sent the Bank of Artifexia a £1 note. Uh, but this £1 note, as in Great British Pounds, uh, comes from Guernsey, uh, one of the China, Channel Islands. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll read, I'm going to read out the some of the things uh, John Lang says. Um, uh, the first paragraph, they say, thanks a million for... Uh, your contributions to the world of creativity, world building, and conlanging, and uh, they say that they are a conlanger. Um, uh, so thank you for listening, and uh, thanks for your kind words. Uh, chief reason for my letter is to send you the enclosed banknote I acquired on my recent trip to Guernsey in the Channel Islands. It is a one pound note. As the Channel Islands are part of the United Kingdom, they use pound sterling as their currency. Mm-hmm. What's interesting, however, is the fact that the UK did away with with a one pound note in eighty four. Uh, due to the phasing in of the new one pound coin. So this effectively means that uh, the one pound note from Guernsey is not legal tender in uh, the United Kingdom. You can't bring it mm-hmm. into England or Scotland or Northern Ireland and use it because they all use the coin. Uh, and apparently as well, uh, this is a, a rarer, uh, some sort of rarer version of the note, which is kind of cool. Um, oh, cool! Yeah, and uh, interesting things about it. It's got this chap called Thomas Della Rue on the back, uh, which is mm-hmm. kind of uh, a bit crazy because there's no queen on the back. That's sort of a standard of of uh, British. Oh, notes. yeah, yeah. Uh, and apparently, Della Rue, according to Wikipedia, is uh, found the Della Rue company, some sort of Della Rue company, um, and it's now the world's largest commercial security printer and paper maker. Uh, they mostly issue huh. bank bank notes and other security paper, which is ironic because the security on the one pound uh, Guernsey note is terrible. There's no foil, <laughs> there's no foil line, there's no hologram, and uh, John Lang says it looks kind of like Monopoly money. And looking but at, but is it, it printed by Delarue? Because that would be a kind of a kick in the teeth that, that that's his company makes bank notes, and he's on a bank note not printed by his company. That would be. Oh, Quite sad. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, John Lang says nothing about that, but um, yeah, but yeah, um, yeah, and then yeah, it goes on to say that if you were to try and use uh, some Guernsey money um, in England or, or Scotland or Northern Ireland, uh, you probably get funny looks, and uh, that is, yeah, I think it is not a common thing because it isn't it that uh, there is it's all uh, sterling. But all the notes look different in like Scotland, Northern Ireland, Guernsey, the like. And every time you try yeah, and the, use them outside of the territories, it's like people look at you like you're some sort of weirdo. Isn't that the case? Kind of. Um, so I think banks can issue their own currency. There isn't like a central bank that that prints all of the currency. Um, individual banks can print it for themselves. Um, or maybe there's like one or two in each of the, the constituent countries. Um, and I think... Uh, Oh, no, hold on. I think England and Wales have it together. I'm not sure about that, though. Um, but yeah, Scottish and Northern Irish money uh, occasionally won't be accepted in England um, because people like, won't be familiar with the notes. Like, why don't they just issue all the same money? I mean, I don't know. Why not issue different money? Like, it's... They're, 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 they're separate countries, sort uh, of. Yeah, I suppose, yeah. 
I like, suppose. Yeah, like want... Scotland has a different legal system and everything. So yeah, that's fair. Yeah, if you're, if you're if there's going to be a high a high level of devolution of power, then yeah, having your own yeah money, yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Um, English money will be accepted. Uh, English notes will be accepted in any of the the constituent countries. I think, but it's trying to use Scottish and Northern Irish in England, people might not be familiar with what it is. Um, I remember when I was living in York. There was a shop right by me that I, I would go to very often, and I went in to get just you know bread or something someday, and there wasn't that much change in the till, and the 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 guy on the till who I was you know I see all the time and I was quite friendly with, he said, "Oh, sorry, I've only got Irish change. Like I've only got Northern Irish change to give, give you back. I hope that's okay." Huh. And I was like, "Well, <laughs> I'm not going to object to that, am I? Come on, <laughs> that's really weird. Yeah, that's mad." Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thank you to to John Lang for sending in uh, in the one pound note. What I find really cool about this uh, Bank of Artifexy adventure is that people send in notes that like are, I'm not expecting. Um, like you know, once once I had mm-hmm. gotten some uh, some English money, I was like, oh, that's that's that done. But then you become aware that there's so many little kind of uh, oddities throughout the world, and little like you know, yeah. this subdivision has its own type of money and. And here it is, Edgar. And I think that's really cool. That's awesome. It is. And the the crown dependencies are just super interesting anyway. Um, mm-hmm. Like, I don't really understand their status because they, they, they belong to the crown, but they're not actually part of the UK, but they're not sovereign. They've no other, they've no other representation. It's, yeah, they're just, they're, they're weird kind of medieval holdovers. Mm. That still exist, which I find very, very curious. I, I think you'll um, find that there's a uh, a fastly spoken CGB Cray video on all of these things um, for those who might want to know about these things. Yeah, um, one of those he uncritically uses the term British Isles um, in one of those videos. I think he may have issued a, a, a second video where he changes some of that around, um, but he definitely has one video with with a couple of mistakes like that in it. Yeah, yeah, no, he does. Uh, and he's talked about those mistakes before. I think we've talked about those mistakes yeah. before on this podcast. I think we have. Yeah. Um, the the, Brit- the British Isles thing, it's one of those things that, like, I don't know, it's almost like if you're not, like, Irish, it's one of those things that you really quickly slip into. Um, you know, mm. and, and, like, on no badness on the other person's part, you know, like, they're not being mean or anything. It's just, like... You've heard that term trolled around. You're like, oh, it must be British Isles. And then you're like, sure, actually, sure. We, we prefer if you didn't call us British, do you know? Uh, yeah, yeah, like if, if you don't have the context for it, it's it's a totally understandable mistake yeah. to make. Um, Absolutely. But I mean, if you're making a video like that, you should put in the research to avoid those kind of mistakes. <laughs> sure. Well, I think another really funny one he had in that video about what is England or what is the United Kingdom Um was that he he coloured Northern Ireland orange, and like he, oh, he had he had no idea like when making it, this is going to be in any way problematic, <laughs> and then he was like oh crap, and then like obviously through the comments realised what he had done, and he was like oh oh no, <laughs> <laughs> and again for someone who's not who doesn't know anything about the culture, um, that's that's like how can you avoid that like that's so it's such a like slippery one that like. There's no way of avoiding it. Oh, sure. Like, I'm sure we have done it seven times in this episode already. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> we have done similar things. 
Um, for sure. Like, every time we talk about something that isn't Ireland, I guarantee you we're making similar mistakes without knowing it at all. It's, it's a, it's a yeah, squirty one. for sure. Um, but yeah, so that is Bank of Artifacts, yeah. Uh, Uruguayan and Argentine pesos. Thank you, Bill. And uh, one pound welcome. note from the fine island of Guernsey in the Channel Islands, uh, courtesy of Conlang. Uh, not Conlang, courtesy of uh, John Lang. Thank you, John Lang. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, do you have anything else uh, to add or should we wrap up? I think we should wrap up. Okay. Um... So as always, as always, folks, thank you for listening. Uh, and again, apologies for the lateness of this episode. Um, check out the merch, support us on Patreon, and hopefully we'll record, like we said, start we'll record soon, and there'll be loads of content for you to, for you to get through. Absolutely. Cool. Until next time, Edgar out. Edgar out. Thank you.